0: Yes, Luke chapter 11, this is Prayer in the Pandemonium, part two. Uh, We are indeed searching for hidden treasures from the cave of quarantine, and I think there's a lot of treasure there. The reason we're doing this series is that we really do believe God has something specific for us in this time if we will not escape it or just try to get through it as fast as we can, but really lean into it and... uh, like mine for the treasure in it, if you will. We're living in, I feel like I say it every week, and every week it feels truer and truer, confusing, tense, anxious times right now. Um, the definition for pandemonium is a situation where it seems like no one has a grasp or a, a control over it. We taught uh, Prayer in the Pandemonium Part 1 two weeks ago. Today is Part 2. Part one addressed, what does prayer do? What is it like accomplish? Today, we're gonna to talk about a few key things about how to pray. We looked at one of those last week, one of the um, often neglected parts or elements of prayer in lament. If you haven't heard that sermon, I would encourage you to do that. Next week, we're gonna look at another often neglected element of fasting in prayer. But today, I wanna to look at three other specific elements of prayer that are so essential to incorporate and understand. This is not an exhaustive teaching on all of the components of how we pray. Uh, I have taught sermons like that. We at Reality Ventura have taught sermons like that. You can go look at the, find those on the website. But today, I want to look at just three things, okay? Uh, we're going to read this passage again that we read, it, we read two weeks ago in Luke 11. Um, it's actually just one verse. Luke 11, 1. Once, Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. This is God's word for us today and our prayer today. Would you join me in praying? Lord, I am asking like this disciple did that you would teach us to pray. I by no means think I have all the answers to how to do that, but I'm so thankful for your word that instructs us. And so we ask that you would instruct us by your word. We ask that as you so often do, that you'd even speak to people things that maybe I missed when I was prepping. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is able to do that. We open our ears now. I ask that you'd speak to us and teach us how to pray. We ask it in the powerful, wonderful, life-changing name of Jesus. Amen. I said it two weeks ago, but uh, the disciples saw Jesus do a lot of crazy stuff, right? But they never asked him to teach them how to do any of it except pray. That's the only thing they asked him to teach them how to do, which means there is something about it that like we often are like, eh, prayer, eh, it's an afterthought. It's a thing I do before bed when I put the kids down or before dinner or it's a thing we do before the sermon, before we get to the real thing. But uh, the disciples didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to preach. He asked uh, Jesus to teach them how to pray. There is something here for us. The first thing I want us to see about when we pray is I want to talk about uh, praying in Jesus' name what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Jesus said in John 14, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son, of, the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That's a heavy powerful statement with like some serious implications, right? Ask anything in my name and I will do it. This is the invitation from Jesus. So then what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Because we we finish our prayers like that, right? In fact, my daughter Selah, who turned 16 two weeks ago and is starting to drive, which is just like blowing my mind and giving me a heart attack. Uh, Not because she's a bad driver, just because I'm like, my little girl. When she was a little, little girl, three years old, she would not let us finish our prayers unless we said the phrase, in Jesus' name. In her mind, it was like a little, like, it was like the stamp of approval and the official way to conclude a prayer. So I would say amen, and she'd be like, in Jesus' name. As if it was like, right, it's the cue. We say, in Jesus' name. Everyone says amen, right? But is this what Jesus meant when he told us to pray in his name? Absolutely not. No offense, three-year-old Selah. In first century Hebrew culture, which is where Jesus is talking here, right, a name told a story about the person who bore that name. It was, a story where, uh, it's, it was a story of where they were from. It was a story of what kind of authority or lack of authority they might have had, what kind of power or no power they might have had, what kind of wealth or no wealth they might have had. If they were trustworthy or not, their name told a story. So when Jesus speaks these words to us and he invites his followers to pray in his name, he is inviting us to pray according to who he is and what he has done. Or better said, to pray in Jesus' name means that we pray according to the authority of Jesus, with the access of Jesus, and according to the account of Jesus. You know what? I added one last minute that I didn't get on here. According to the... Kingdom attributes. First of all, to pray in Jesus' name means that we pray according to the authority of Jesus. Okay? What kind of authority? Here, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1. Christ has been seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities and powers. Everyone just say all. Okay. All rule and authority. Everyone say all. All might and dominion. Say all. Every name that is named. Everyone say every. Every. Not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. And He, the Father, has put all things, say all things, things. under His feet. He gave Him to be the head over all things, say all all things, to the church. What kind of authority? The kind of authority that has the power over all things, okay? This is what the Bible says is the kind of authority that Jesus has. But then look at what it says a couple verses later. He raised us, everyone say us, us, up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places with Christ. All right, everyone take one of their hands, just put it here, okay? Like right a little bit above your head. Say Jesus. Jesus. Okay, now take your other hand and go like this. Say all the stuff. All the stuff. Okay, now take this hand and say me. Me. Say Jesus. All the stuff. stuff. me. Me. Christian, this is where Christ has seated us in the heavenly places above all the stuff. To pray according to someone's name means to pray according to what their name means. The name of Jesus means all authority. And because we are seated with him, this is the kind of authority that he has given us. And so then this is how we ought to pray. We don't pray from a place of defeat, like hoping we can get there. We pray from a place of victory because we are already in Jesus, the victorious one. This is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We pray according to the authority of Jesus. The second thing is that to pray in Jesus' name means that we pray according to the access of Jesus. If you are not one of my children, then you do not have full access to me. Which means that if you call me from your telephone, I'm going to see your number, no offense, and 90% of the time, I'm not going to answer it. Uh, However, when Selah, who's the only kid who has a phone in our house, calls me from her number, I'm going to see her number and I'm going to pick it up every time, right? But if Selah gives you her phone to call me, I'm going to see her number and I'm going to answer your call. To pray in Jesus name with the access of Jesus means that when we pray to the Father, Jesus hands us his phone and says, "Hey, here, call from my number." We have the kind of access that the Son of God, Jesus, has. How do I know this? Well, the Bible tells us Hebrews 4:16, "So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God." Let us come. That's access. Here's how, boldly to the throne of our gracious God, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Hebrews 10, 19 and 21. So brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter. That's the access. Heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Let us go right in to the presence of God. Ephesians three twelve. In him... And through faith in him, we may approach, there's the access, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. When we pray, God leans in and listens to us. And when Jesus invites us to pray to the Father in his name, he is inviting us to pray with the kind of access that he already has to the Father, which is full, complete, confident access. So then that means that when we pray, we don't come into God's presence like timid, like I don't know if God's gonna hear me or I don't know if I'm gonna have the right thing to say or I don't know if I belong here. Listen, my kids never wonder if they belong talking to me, right? Like anytime my kid wants to roll up and snuggle on my lap, it happened this morning when I was finishing my notes Kingston got up before anybody else, seven years old, rolled up, snuggled up to me. I'm never like, hey dude, did you ask permission to do that? He knows he has full access to us. This is the kind of access that God gives us and the kind of invitation that he gives us to come boldly and confidently to him in prayer, which means that this should like stir our faith, right? This should be like, oh my gosh, God wants to hear from me like that? This should stir our faith and increase our boldness as we pray. God wants to hear our bold requests of faith. In prayer, This is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. The third thing that it means to pray in Jesus' name is that to pray in Jesus' name means that we pray according to the account of Jesus, all right? So the authority of Jesus, we pray according to the access of Jesus, we pray according to the account of Jesus. Here's what it's like. If uh, you needed $100,000 and I wrote you a check for $100,000 from my account, you would take that check to the bank. They would try to cash it according to my account, and that check would bounce. That's how that works, because I don't have hundred grand in my account. However, if Bill Gates writes you a check from his account for $100,000, you would cash that, and you could, as you say, take it to the bank, right? Uh, because you would be asking for that money according to the account of someone who actually has that money, you would be asking for what you need according to someone who actually has what you need. When we pray, we are not praying according to our account that may or may not have any money in it. We pray according to the account of Jesus and his account is always full of everything that we need. Everyone say everything. Everything. Check this out. God graciously gave me, so Paul's talking here, God graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the Endless treasures available to them in Christ. His treasures available to us who have been saved. Philippians 4.19. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs according to His glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. His riches, His endless treasures are available to us. We pray according to that kind of account. Let this build faith in our hearts today that there's nothing that is too big of an ask of God. Your account may be empty, but think of it like this. Jesus has made you a co-signer on His account, all right? This means that when we come to God, we say, Father, what I'm asking today might be a little bit crazy, but I am asking according to the account of your son Jesus that you would give to me this. I did it for my wife yesterday. She had a crippling migraine or two days ago. And uh, I was praying for her and I was rubbing her neck, which I suck at. I was, and I was rubbing her neck and I was praying for her. And I was like, Lord, in your son's account, there is healing. It's full of healing. Lord, I'm asking that you would give To my wife from the account of Jesus that is full of healing. That you would give healing to her from the account of Jesus. This is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We pray, I know it's crazy, but we pray according to the account of Jesus that is always full. Lastly, to pray in Jesus' name means that we pray according to his kingdom attributes. We pray according to his kingdom attributes. We pray in a way that lines up with who Jesus is, what he's about, and what his eternal kingdom looks like, right? This is how Jesus taught us to pray, Father in heaven, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is your kingdom like? Lord, I want to pray that. Lord, what are you about? What do I see you doing uh, in the scriptures, Jesus? I want to pray those things. I want to pray according to your kingdom attributes. I want to pray that that, everything that you are, and everything that you do, and everything that will be someday when you establish your kingdom on earth, I want to pray that that comes now because that's what you told us to do, Jesus. In 1 John it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, okay, kingdom attributes, According to who he is, what he wants, he hears us. It says later, and we have that for which we ask. It's not just that we come to the Father with the authority of Jesus and boldness and and the access of Jesus to go right in. And according to the account of Jesus where there's just endless treasures. And then we ask whatever we want, right? But we ask uh, him, what do you want? We say, I'm coming with boldness. I'm coming with authority. I'm coming with access. I'm coming praying according to the account of Jesus, but I'm saying, God, and I'm asking you to do what you want to do. But Dom, how do I know what he wants to do? How do I know what his will is? It's in his word. His word tells us what his will is, his word tells us what his kingdom is like. His word tells us what he is like. His word tells us what his heart cares about, what his heart is greed with what his heart is passionate about, what his heart gets excited about, his word tells us. Which brings us to our second point in this whole thing. We pray the promises of God back to God. When we pray, we pray the promises of God back to God. One of my favorite practices in prayer is praying God's promises found in his word back to him. Like this, like, Lord, you said that, so now in light of that, I'm praying this, right? Not only does this keep us in line with his will and his heart because it's, you know, in his word, uh, but it also builds our faith to remember, like, oh, this is who God is, and this is what he said he would do. And we see it all over scripture, right? We looked at it uh, a few weeks ago. In 2 Chronicles 20, when they're up against this unbeatable army and King Jehoshaphat gathers everyone to the temple and he prays to God. And what does he start off by saying? He says, Lord, you said. That's how he starts the prayer. Lord, you said. And then he goes on to to, kind of like remind God, not like he forgot, but like rehearse God's promises back to him. And then he says, in light of what you said, now we are asking that you would come and you would help us like you said you would, Lord, because you promised that. I am now praying this. So here's what this looks like, right? When we pray for salvation, for instance, we pray the promises of God back to God. Second, Second Peter three nine, for instance, says, God, you are not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Psalm eighty six says, Okay, God, you, your word says that you are ready to forgive, and you are abounding in unfailing love. Lord, please come and forgive. Please let your love abound. Please, God, show mercy. You are a God of justice. God, please bring justice to this situation. Lord, I am in need. You said, you said you would provide all of my needs, everything I need. And so now I am asking that you would do what you said you would do. This is us praying the promises of God back to God but Tom, I don't know scripture like you do. Like, I don't have those verses. You just had them in your head. Like, how am I supposed to know what the promises of God are if I don't know the scriptures? Google. (laughs) This is how you know, okay? You don't have to be a stinking theologian. You have Google. Type in, in Google, promises of God in scripture about Fill in the blank, salvation, provision, justice, my kids being rebellious, whatever you want. It's thinking Google. Type it in and find those promises in Scripture and then begin to pray them back to God. We have no excuse in this. You don't have to be a theologian or a seminary student for this. You don't even have to have read your Bible a bunch in your life. Use your computer for something good. Type in in Google, find these promises, pray them back to God. This is one of the ways, honestly, some of us feel like, I just don't know how to pray. I hear other people pray and they sound so eloquent. I don't really know what to do. Honestly, this is one of those things that can kind of like hold our hand to teach us to pray. Just find scripture that's already saying the stuff you want to say and just say it to God. Just like put your heart into it, interject your life even into it and be like, gosh, I want want to embody this, so to speak. And I'm going to pray it to God. This can be a way that truly really help you learn how to pray. As I said last week, I think sometimes uh, we think, well God's God, He's sovereign, and he's going to do what he's going to do, He's going to do it, when he's going to do it, and I don't uh, participate in that in any way. And in some ways that's true, like God's going to sometimes just do what he's going to do in certain situations, um, but sometimes God is waiting. For us to ask until he acts. Praying is us asking. And sometimes that means us asking over and over and over and over again, which brings us to our final point for today's sermon. We labor and persist in prayer. When we pray, we labor and persist in prayer. First of all, we labor. Check out how Paul describes his prayer life for the church. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church. Dang. Now, I don't know about you, but like, there's very few times in my life when I feel like I have agonized in prayer. He's talking about praying right here. It's the Greek word agon. It means to struggle, to wrestle, to sweat, to, like, to, to work so much that you're sweating in prayer. James 5.16 says the effective, literally the active, working, laborious uh, in the right way, fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. In the next verse, he demonstrates what this looks like. Elijah was a human as we are. And yet when he prayed Earnestly, he labored in prayer that no rain would fall. None fell for three and a half years. Then, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. I was talking to a friend the other day who's so disheartened um, because he wants to see revival. And yet, when he looks around, all he sees is what looks like barrenness and brokenness. It looks like a spiritual. Drought, Right? Elijah was in a, a physical drought there. It looks like a spiritual drought. And then it hit him. Wait, what if God is waiting for someone like me to start praying before he pours out his rain that will produce a spiritual harvest of, of souls into his kingdom? He remembered Ezekiel 22. God told Ezekiel, he said, I looked for someone to stand in the gap, intercede in prayer, so I would not have to destroy the land, but I found no one. God wants to show mercy. Sometimes he's waiting to act until someone stands in the gap and asks. So you know what my disheartened friend did? He said, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not worthy enough to do that. I'm not important enough to do that. I think I'll just grab a beer, sit on the couch, watch Netflix, and continue to be discouraged. No! He started a prayer meeting at his house on Monday nights to see revival happen. He started praying because he's like, what if that dude's me? What if I'm one of those dudes? What if I'm one of of these guys? What if I'm one of these Ezekiels who needs to stand in the gap? And we can learn something here. Guys, some of us need to stop complaining so much. Start chit- Stop chit-chatting so much and start praying more. Hey, listen, in all love and humility, you guys, in all love and humility, if you have time to spend like an hour or two or more throughout the week complaining over text messages and social media posts and social media comments and conversations on the phone, but you don't have 45 minutes to join us on Tuesday nights for our prayer meeting? Come on. Like, check your priorities. We can do so much more in 45 minutes than we could in weeks of conversations. I don't know, but like, ask God. Like, Lord, how should I be spending in my 45 minutes? I think he's going to say, yeah, put your phone down close your computer, come to a prayer meeting. I think we need to channel that energy into prayer because, listen, there's, gosh, there's so much going on. I don't care what news you read, what news you listen to, there's so much going on, so much brokenness everywhere that we can't just, like, fix with physical means, that we can do very little or nothing about But we can do a crazy amount through prayer. I'm not just saying that. We see that in the Bible. Elijah couldn't do anything to make the rain fall, but he prayed and the rain fell. One of the things we can do to affect situations is pray. And when we pray, sometimes we're going to have to keep doing it, all right? It's not going to happen overnight. Elijah prayed earnestly. Check out this story from Jesus. (laughs) So crazy. This is his sermon on prayer, Luke 18. One day Jesus told his disciples a story about how they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give justice to me in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Okay, Jesus. Even he rendered a decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have this kind of faith? This woman asked uh, the the judge to give her justice, right? So we're talking uh, something right, not just like something stupid, like I want a new car or whatever. Maybe you need a new car, that's fine. But like, I don't need a new car. He's talking about something just, right? So first of all, it's like in line with God's will. And Jesus says, pray like this, don't give up. In Luke 11, Jesus tells the story of this dude who goes to his friend's house in the middle of the night, wakes him up for some bread. The friend's like, go away. And the dude keeps coming back. And finally, the guy in the house is like, okay, here's some bread. And Jesus says, because of his importunity, in verse 8 of Luke 11, because of this nagging dude's importunity, the guy in the house gave him the bread. Importunity. Just say out loud. Importunity. Importunity. We have no idea what this word means. No problem. I'll, I'll define it for you. It means to consistently insist with persistence. Consistently persist with insistence. Like my, my kids do when they really want to like play a game after I've come home after a 12-hour day working. They consistently persist with insistence until I'm like, okay. Yes, let's sit down and play a game. This is how Jesus invites us to pray and says that sometimes our prayers aren't answered because we have not asked with persistence and insistence. What? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. Now, listen, sometimes we have not because we ask not. Okay, we just haven't asked. That's James 4.2. Sometimes we don't have because we ask amiss or with impure motives. That's in James 4.3. Okay, that's another sermon. Sometimes we have not because we're in rebellion and God is not hearing us right now. Okay, that's a real thing from John 9. That's another sermon. Sometimes husbands, listen, husbands, we have not because we are not treating our wives right, it says in 1 Peter 3. That's real. That's a whole other sermon. Sometimes we have not because we're not asking according to God's will, as I alluded to from 1 John 5. But sometimes we have not because we haven't asked with importunity, insisting, with persistence when you know you are praying according to god's will and praying for in accordance with his kingdom attributes and you still don't have maybe it's because you need to keep on asking charles spurgeon says some blessings of the christian life just fall off the tree of blessings into our lap no problem easy Some blessings won't fall off the tree unless you grab a hold of the branches and shake. When uh, my mom married my stepdad, this was his view on God. Uh, He said, there is no God. And if there is, I absolutely resent him and will never have anything to do with him. 20 years after my mom had been praying for him, 20 years praying for him, He's driving home from a hunting trip by himself in his truck, and the Holy Spirit showed up. He was overwhelmed with the presence of God and uh, began confessing his sins to Jesus, who he didn't even believe was like a person. By the time he got home, he was born again. My grandfather, who's been pastoring um, a church for almost 50 years now, Uh, was a rebellious, like far away from God, a kid, teenager, young adult. And uh, my great grandma, who was like this prayer warrior, man, she would pray for my grandpa. In fact, he would come home, even in his 20s, he would come into their house late at night and uh, he had been partying all night and he would walk by her room and hear her on her knees in her room, weeping, crying out to God for his salvation. She was 15 when I died, or I died. I was 15 <laughs> when she died. And on her deathbed, like she's got a couple hours left and she's, she's still with the little breath she had praying for me to come to Jesus because I was just a punk dude. I was getting arrested for shoplifting and I'd almost gotten kicked out of school for doing drugs, gotten kicked off the baseball team for doing drugs. I was a punk, I was disrupting the peace in my home and she was praying for me. My parents did the same thing, man. They never stopped my dad and my stepmom. Like never stopped. I was gosh, I was such a jerk. They kept praying for me until I finally gave my life to Jesus. Importunity. This is like nonstop. I'm gonna labor. I'm not just gonna pray once. And be like, well, I did my part. Now God, you do your part. Sometimes we gotta persist with insistence. I've shared last year that I believed. 2019 was a year of us getting ready for what was coming in 2020, and that uh, 2020 was going to bring some kind of great harvest, some kind of like revival. I didn't know what that looked like. You know what I think revival looks like? I think it looks like a million of stories, a million stories like these ones I just shared, all coinciding at the same exact time. Millions of supernatural but very specific Holy Spirit moments like this all going at the same time in history. Because a lot of times when we think about revival and we we say this word and we're sensing this in our spirit, we think on the macro level, right? The big picture, like an entire city all coming to faith. But we need to see the macro, right? Because the macro is made up of the micro, right? The macro is made up of the micro. Worldwide Revival movements are comprised of millions of individual revival moments, like these ones I just shared. You know what revival looks like? It looks like thousands of great grandmothers' prayers finally being answered, it looks like thousands of faithful wives' and husbands' prayers finally being answered. Like thousands of parents' prayers for their wayward children finally being answered and seeing their wayward children finally coming home. It looks like thousands of addicted family members finally getting free. Revival looks like a thousand different hopeless family situations all being restored. And what it looks like, church, is your family situations being restored. Revival looks like your wayward children, that one. Your wayward child coming home. That's what revival looks like. Someone told me last week of their mother being saved. You know, this woman's like in her early 30s. Mom's in, what, 60s, 70s, finally being saved after years of prayer. That's what revival looks like. That's what revival looks like. A young woman in our church who's a part of our leadership team, she moved to Ventura five years ago. And the reason she moved to Ventura is because God told her, I want you to go back to Ventura where your family is. I'm bringing revival, and it's going to start around the kitchen table. He was talking about family. He was talking about her family. He was talking about your family. He was talking about my family. I've been saying it for a year. Whatever, almost a year and a half. I believe God wants to bring revival, but I believe he wants to start it in our families. God is not just wanting to save the people. He's wanting to save your people. He's wanting to save your people. And I believe it's beginning to happen. I see it happening in my family already as recent as this last week, like a week ago. I see it happening already in some of your families. I heard stories just even as recent as this last week. I'm telling you right now, listen to me. I think you need to be ready to pick up the phone and answer the text when that family member reaches out to you that you haven't talked to in a while. I think this is going to start happening. And I don't think God wants to use me in their life. I think he wants to use you in their life. God loves relationships. He wants to use relationships to bring about salvation in people's lives. In fact, I think that that's part of what God is trying to teach us in this whole quarantine thing, can't meet in the big church. He's trying to remove our dependency on the preacher and the pulpit and trying to remind us that it's all about his presence and his power. It's not about the preacher in the pulpit. It's about his presence and his power and his presence and his power live in you. We love this verse in Ephesians 3. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. And then we often stop right there. What does it keep saying though? It says, according to the power at work in you according to the power at work in you and me for sure, but not just me, not just the people on the the camera or at the pulpit or on the stage or with the microphone. He is in you. He's wanting to use you in your family's life. He doesn't want to use me in your family's life. He wants to use you in your family's life. Listen, God doesn't need professionals. He doesn't need educated ministers. He doesn't need wise people. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, not many wise are called. For God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. If God has ever used me, it is not because I am wise. It is because I am not. All I have done in my life, and gosh, God has used me. I'm humble how much God has used me. And it is because I'm a fool, man. It's because he gets the glory. I was a tone deaf, rebellious little punk. I've read 10 books in my entire life still to this day because I can't track sentences. And God, you, I, I graduated high school with a D minus in English. You know what I do for a living and for my ministry? I write words. I graduated with a D minus in English because I can't read well. This is the kind of people that God wants to use. He doesn't use me because I'm something fancy. He uses me because I'm not. All I did was make myself available. I actively and intentionally said, here I am, God. Use me. What are you doing? I I want to be a part of it like a little kid. That's all I did, and that's all God is looking for. I'll end with this. The power to bring salvation is in God alone, okay? We know that. But there is this great invitation in Scripture for us to participate and partner with God in bringing that salvation. And yes, part of that partnership is us going out and being on mission. We need to do that, okay? But part of that partnership is through prayer because there are some strongholds that no amount of mission can ever break that have to be broken through prayer and like we'll see next week, through fasting, through fasting. And prayer. God is inviting us to partner with Him in these ways through faith filled, bold, authoritative, promise proclaiming prayers. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. think about my kids when I'm building something in the garage <laughs> just happened 2 weeks ago they came out and they were like dad can I help you what are you building it looks cool you got the saw out, you got the sander out you're like cutting stuff you're measuring things and what is it what do you build i want to i want to participate in this and i was like yeah come on son lord you're building your kingdom and we want to say today father can i help <laughs> Father, can I do something? I believe you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Here. Here, this is, oh, this is an important job right here, man. You gotta pray. It's an important job right here. You gotta pray. You gotta pray. We wanna receive that invitation. We wanna respond to it. If you would like to, with me, uh, just respond to that invitation. Listen, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not asking you to like now learn how to be some crazy prayer warrior. I'm not asking you to be my great grandma in the middle of the night. I'm not putting any pressure on you. I'm just, I'm asking you to be actively available. That's all I'm asking you to do. Like, God, I want, I want to be a part of this. How can I be a part of it? I'm asking you to come to a 45 minute prayer meeting. <laughs> I'm asking you to put down the phone sometimes and be like, gosh, I'm just going to pray about this situation. I want to pray about this situation. And I'm asking you, when you don't know how to pray, to go Google some ways how to pray and let those words become yours and pray them to God. I'm not asking you to do something crazy. I'm not asking you to be some kind of hero. I'm just asking you to follow God like this, have childlike faith like this. If that's you, can you just repeat after me in putting your hands out? Uh, If you're just willing to make yourself actively available to him. Put your hands out as if you were surrendering. And look, this is how easy it is. I took five minutes and wrote down a prayer. I'm gonna lead by example here. Sometimes I just write down prayers because my brain doesn't catch the words fast enough. I write down prayers and then I pray them back to God. Repeat after me. Lord, make me a vessel of love. Stir faith in me to believe that you can do the impossible. Drive out doubt and disbelief. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me a passion for the lost. Give me a passion for my lost family members. Help me to care like you do. Bring family members to my heart and mind. Lord, teach me how to pray. We ask, God, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit right now. Oh, Lord, you would burden our hearts with what burdens yours. Listen, I just want to really quick speak to the person who's like, I don't really care that much. Here's the deal. You cannot muster up compassion. You can't. You could watch a bunch of sad videos and the compassion will go away in a minute. The way for your heart to find compassion is for God to do a supernatural work in you so that you begin to feel the things that he feels and see the thing that he sees the way he sees it. So Lord, I'm asking for a Holy Spirit supernatural revelation of your heart in us. The other way that I think this happens is when we repent from lesser things, things that are distracting us from too much screens and Netflix and social media and conversations that are not important and gluttonous attitudes and Uh, using things like alcohol and food and maybe weed to try to like numb us, repenting from those things. As we repent, we could come back. We start to find the heart of God again. we got to do that today. If you need prayer for anything else, you can go to our website, realitymaterial.com slash God, or find the link in the description of the YouTube video. We would love to pray for you. Our prayer team would love to pray for you. If you don't know Jesus, you're tripping right now. We would love to introduce you to him and tell you more about him. Let us sing now and and pray that God would come and, and do this.